0: Welcome to When We Speak where we shed stigmas, say goodbye to shame, strengthen ourselves and encourage others. I am your host, Tasha Hunter. This is a podcast where I am blending the intersections of race, gender, sexuality, faith, and trauma. If there is a topic that most people say we're not supposed to talk about, I'm talking about it because that is how we heal. We don't heal in silence. We heal by speaking out. Hi. So today I have my friend, Letty Elizabeth, and I wanted to talk to my friend, my sister, because she's the the only historian that I trust. Literally. No kidding. <laughs> There's a lot of people out here talking about Black history. I don't trust any of them. I, I literally just trust my friend Letty. So,
1: hey Tasha, that was so sweet. But also, yeah, because I'm a natural historian, so there's that. <laughs> yeah,
0: she's not just <laughs> talking about history on her social media. She knows it. She studied it. It's what she does. And I just love you. And I just want all my listeners and everybody know
1: that. Me too, yeah. Tasha. I'm so grateful for our friendship. Me too. Can you just tell everybody who you are? Yeah, so my name is Letty. Right now, my last name is Shoemate. Most people know me as Letty Shoemate. Uh, My middle name is Elizabeth. So I'm going by Letty Elizabeth right now because I'm uh, also going through a divorce. And so, yeah, um, my maiden name will be what people see soon, which is Gore. And I'm saying that on this podcast because I've been saying it more to people so they're used to it. Uh, Yeah. So I'm a historian. I am a black woman. I'm a podcast host. My podcast is History Shows Us. I'm a mediator and facilitator. I'm a Whitney Houston fan, Michael Jackson fan. I love food. Going back to to me as a historian, I love history so much because it's much more than dates and times. It's about connecting the past to the present, but seeing the importance of the depth of history because we can't talk about social change or progress or any of these words that people want to use these days. You can't talk about any of that if you don't understand the truth behind why it's necessary. So yeah, that's a little bit about me.
0: Well, first of all, as I said before, you are the only historian I've ever met and I'm so glad that you're a Black woman. I think that when we we look at history, every history book that that I grew up with it was written by white people. And and it was very limited in terms of what it included regarding people of color. And they kind of stick to a script of, of this is the only history we're going to share. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I think that when it comes to our history, every school, every church, every museum, every historical society, everybody, every college, university, whatever, they should have people of color teaching our history. Um, anything you can kind of add to that? Or or, or what do you have to say about that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I didn't even like history growing up. So I hated it until college because we learned the same few things. And there were a couple of pages in the history books about black history and everything else was old white men fighting wars. I was like, is that all history is, is wars? And battle and stealing, right? Yeah. I, I went to um, a community college for my first two years of undergrad and I had a, a professor there who was fascinating. He lectured about history without using a book. He didn't use PowerPoint, nothing. You just had to take notes the whole class period and the tests were just, you wrote everything you remembered from the lectures. And I mean, I'd write pages and pages, right? So I then went to University of, of North Carolina at Wilmington where I majored in history and it was just so much. And then I went to grad school and I was like, wow, like the the vast amount of history and the depth of it though, the depth of like the history, understanding like methodology, the like historiography, all of this stuff that goes into it, which is why I'm a historian. I'm like, we don't learn even a fraction of this. And it's really an, an extremely detrimental disservice to this country. And we see it right now with critical race theory, right? We we see how angry people are getting in, over critical race theory. And I'm like, you don't even know what it is. Like you're you're not even understanding what it is. This isn't a diversity and like inclusion training. This is this is a framework to which you view white supremacy and racism as active foundations which continue to be perpetuated throughout our country. And so I just think that there's a fear. There's a fear in this country, especially among white people, whenever it comes to knowing the truth about the history, because you would have to face it. You have to face the evil things you did. You have to face yourself. People don't want to face themselves. People don't want to face themselves individually, right? Like better yet, facing yourself and admitting to something where it's going to cause you to have to recognize like, wow, I'm really not supreme. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So we actually did do those things and laugh and joke about it as we're torturing and brutalizing people, an entire group of people, right? And so um, there's a fear. There's, there's always historically been a fear of um, people knowing the truth about what's, what's really happened in this country because knowledge is power, Knowledge is power. And whenever I talk about history, that's, that's why this also comes to my mind now, but that's why when I talk about history, one of the things that I point out the most is what is the biggest thing, like what is the largest thing that was held from Black people, kept from Black people during slavery, after slavery, so education education like that was something that we were not able we were not allowed to read we we're we we're not allowed to read oh no, no 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 you couldn't you couldn't read you couldn't write you couldn't we we didn't even have schools even after slavery why why is education such a threat such a threat because yeah. there's power in that
0: there is and and as you were talking I was I was really thinking I, I think that there's a lot of fear in, you know, in in the United States. There's this this patriotism that I don't know anything about because I don't I don't practice patriotism. It's it's, it's I'm not about that life. Me but either. but but I think that if they confront their fear of telling our stories, they'd have to confront that fake patriotism. Yeah. They'd have to confront that nationalism. They'd have to confront that part of their history where they're like, oh, my people wasn't shit.
1: Mm-hmm. Like,
0: shoot, we was out here raping people, brutalizing people, as you say it, literally the original terrorist. We terrorized people. And how can we judge anyone else for their terrorism mm-hmm. when we did all of these things, mm-hmm. to people of color and continue? Mm-hmm. I think that's the real fear is, is having to confront, just like you said, confront yourself, meet yourself, meet your real self.
1: Yeah. Definitely. And then, too, whenever you were saying they would have to see like, oh, so we were actually like real terrorists. That's the thing is like they don't they don't want to see it. Right. I'm like, y'all don't want to see it because there's a reason why you had to create this derogatory image, this dehumanizing image of black people and of indigenous people, because it would allow your whiteness to be at the top, right? Like it would allow you to be superior. And so there, and that that gets passed down, these ideas get passed down in every way and in every sector of this country, ways people don't even think about. And it's just, you were talking about patriotism, And nationalism, right? And people want to say, oh, patriotism, and we just love our country. No, no, no. You love white people in this country. You love white supremacy. Because patriotism actually is nothing like what we're seeing it it displayed as. Patriotism isn't how many flags you can have on your truck or on your home and patriotism definitely is not the confederate flag which people right. want to claim that it is and i'm like actually that's treason so there's that and you weren't even part of the united states because you seceded from the unions and you weren't even part of the country so then when people talk about patriotism they're flying this like confederate flag and they're flying this american flag it actually makes me laugh because it's completely wrong it's not an opinion it's an actual fact like it was treason and so how are you going to fly a flag where for a country that you weren't even a part of right right and Mm -hmm. it it also tasha makes me think about what happened in january this year what january 6th whenever the white supremacists white racist people and not just them because there are a lot more of them storm the Capitol, right? And you you have these people who are seeing the like videos and these white people that are beating police officers. And I'm bringing this up to to make this point, but they're beating these police officers and all this stuff, right? Oh, but I thought y'all cared so much about them. Oh, but I thought you cared about blue lives, which I hate saying that because every time I say blue lives, I think of Smurfs because that's all I avatars okay so like what are you talking about (laughs) but like i i thought y'all cared so much but you don't care about that at all because it was never about that it was always about white supremacy it's always been about racism it's always been about the same hate the same exact hate that's written into the laws of this country the same exact ideas that these white lynch mobs had back in the day, right? These same ideas that these white enslavers and overseers and these had, it's the same thing. Nothing's changed, actually. It is, that. It is that
0: the insurrection that happened, what it made me think of is it's, it's only okay for violence and for insurrections to happen. They, they, they only, white people, they, it's like, no, we own this. We've been doing this since the beginning. We own the rights to be violent. We own the right to beat people, to brutalize, to to place fear in people. They don't want anybody else to have any weapons, any guns. They don't want anybody else to protect themselves. They don't want anybody else to fight for their rights. Mm -hmm. And I think that is all, it's like we're the only ones that can do this. And honestly, because if it was a group of Native Americans, if it was a group of Hispanics, if it was a group of Asian Americans, if it was a group of, of Middle Eastern Americans, of Black folk, nobody else could have went
1: that far.
0: Went no, all the way not. into the Capitol.
1: Mm-mm. Absolutely not. No, absolutely not. Because last summer, that those same Capitol steps, that same Washington, D.C., whenever you had thousands of people protesting because... Black people are getting murdered. People are literally getting murdered because they're black and they're breathing, okay? You, they, they had like National Guard there. They, they had soldiers there and it was armed militia because people were exercising their rights to do what they were doing, like to, to protest. That's written into the same exact constitution. People want to act like they love so much. No, you don't. You actually don't love that at all. What you love is the power that you've allowed it to create for your white self. That's what yep. you love about it, right? The these these neatly wrapped lies that you want to tell yourself within this white supremacy box. Yes to everything that
0: that, that Lady Elizabeth just said. Okay.
1: <laughs> I, And also
0: I wanted to ask you now, I'm, you know, I'm a trauma therapist. Mm -hmm. How do you, as a historian, because you're reading a lot of serious books, a lot of heavy stuff Mm -hmm. to be able to speak and and teach and lead in the way that you do. How do you take care of yourselves when you're, you know, constantly exposed to trauma on a day-to-day basis?
1: That is a wonderful question. And it's actually a question that my therapist asks me often. (laughs) She's like, what are you doing to take care of yourself? And it's something, honestly, Tasha, I've had to start figuring out how to even incorporate and prioritize because I wasn't taught that growing up. I, I didn't see that growing up. I, all I saw growing up was you, you have to keep going. You have to keep going. You have to work hard. You have to work hard. I didn't see my mom rest I didn't get the opportunity to understand that you can you can still fight for what you want to fight for and do what you want to do but you can also rest and you need to rest right I didn't see that um my dad uh he retired uh he used to work in Washington DC he retired in 2001 he was 55 um I mean he's been retired now for 21 years yeah so um yeah so he's even with him, I didn't really see rest. Like I knew that retirement meant, Oh, okay. Like dad doesn't have to like work in DC anymore. And yeah, I I was in middle school and I still saw him, you know, constantly doing stuff. And these ideas poured into my mind because my, my parents were born in 1945 and 1951. It was a very different time being black in North Carolina, right? Like that was literally Jim Crow era. And so I've had to figure out why I place so much value on productivity and how that's tied to what I think my worth is and where that comes from within myself and my own childhood trauma. And that's a lot. And, and ancestral trauma, right? Yes. Yes. It's, it's a lot. Yeah. And, and that's, I think, another thing with me too, is not only am I seeing it within myself, but I'm also reading about it. And I'm applying it and I'm like, oh, wait, it's because we collectively as Black people have never been given the chance, have never been seen as deserving of rest, of deserving of good things, right? So whenever my therapist says things to me like, you deserve good things, she isn't bringing it from a historical perspective necessarily. She's just bringing it from like me and what I've told her about me growing up. But I'm like, wow, but this is, this this does go back a lot, but- Anyway, to to answer your question, some days it just looks different from others. There's some days where I'm like, all right, I'm gonna pour into this, I'm gonna read this, and I want to do all this. And it's because too, I want to. I have a passion for this stuff, and it is a lot of heavy stuff. Matter of fact, this morning I was looking and I've read chunks of the book Medical Apartheid by Harriet Washington. And I've read some of Killing the Black Body, there's like other book, but I haven't read them front to back, like cover to cover. And there's another book I have that's right here beside me, which is about the rape and enslavement of black men. So the whole book is about. It's a history mm. book about. that, Right. And so I read a lot of heavy stuff because I want people need to hear this stuff. But mm. I know I need to be prepared for what that's going to do to me. Yeah. And, right. And so there are days that I binge watch Netflix yeah. for hours. And I'll be honest about that. There's just days that, that happens. There's days that I yeah, I'm scattered or I'm overwhelmed or I'm like, why, why can't I get it together today? It's like, well, Letty, because you did all this stuff yesterday. Like you did a bunch of reading yesterday. It, it stays in my body. And it does. And, I, and then I think to the last, since October last year, do, like trying to do the work as a self-employed black woman historian in this country, and then separation, whole host of things, right. Un- unpacking stuff, unlearning stuff, That was a lot. And so earlier this year, there were a couple months where I didn't do things I should have been doing or should have been doing. And I'm going to say should have like that because we put a lot of shoulds on ourselves, right? Like, oh, well, I should be doing this. I should be doing that. Why? Who told you that your worth is tied to all of the things that you check off of your list? Who told you that? And I'm asking that right like now, not to obviously get an answer, but I'm saying that because that's a question my therapist asked me earlier this year. And I was like, damn,
0: damn. I think that's the real trick of the enemy. If we, if we want to be real about it, I remember as you're talking. And I would prod myself and I've got this many PTO days. I've got this, you know, oh, my sick days are stacking up. And, you know, I don't even use those because I don't ever like get sick. I've got this much vacation on the books because I never took a vacation, like maybe like once a year. I would prod myself that they like worked my ass. I wish I could tell my younger self, girl, take your PTO. Mm-hmm. why are you saving it
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then you lose it when you don't take it it doesn't roll over <laughs> right right like and i i used to pride myself like oh yeah you know i worked 12 hours today mm-hmm, why? mm-hmm. I used to prod myself, well, you know, I'm salary, you know, and, and and this is how much I make and I make good money and, and well, you know, it's okay if I work on the weekend, you know, it, it, it's it's fine. You know, it needs to happen. That is the real work of Satan just for anybody listening.
1: Yeah, no, but that's, that's real. And I feel that because I worked in corporate America for a, a little bit. I so many things actually job-wise <laughs> once i start, once i start talking people are like what like, yeah i've done so many things but like i yeah i was in corporate america for two and a half years it was a very long two and a half years it was yeah. very long it was definitely long not just for because corporate america but two because it's not what i wanted to do i was working at a pharmaceutical company but here in wilmington north carolina like i was working there and then I was teaching history at a community college on my lunch break because I didn't make any money as an adjunct professor. You didn't make any money. You you made money for time in the classroom. No grading, no nothing else, right? So I, I was like, well, bills got to get paid. And yeah, so I too did that, Tasha, where I was like, oh, I have all these PTO hours. I have all this time saved up. I don't, but I'm just going to save it because I'm a good worker and. I am this and I am that. And I was the second year working there. I was so burnt out. And I was like, what am I saving this for? What am I saving this for? And also here's the other thing too, with this is being one of the, oh, I don't know, seven black people in my department, in the clinical department, like, and I'm sitting here pushing paperwork, doing grunt work. That's what a lot of us did. Here I am busting my butt because I have this internalized idea that as a black person, I need to work harder. So then they can't yes. say that I'm lazy or yes. they can't say this or that. Like I would go to work every day with like my hair looking right dress nicely. And here I am looking around and you have white people. And I'm going to say this, white people coming in half-assed doing work, really not doing, I mean, really not even looking professional. And I'm going to say that. And I'm going prof- flip flops to work. <laughs> Listen, Like, honestly, and then I out here just doing things that I was afraid to do because I thought that I would get fired. And they're the ones getting the raises. They're the ones getting the raises. They're the ones getting the freaking promotions. And I feel like I have to like, keep proving myself in because I don't want to lose my job because, oh, but but maybe they'll look at me as a black person and have this stereotype of me, right? So there's, oh my gosh, like that working in that office where I was, hundreds of people worked there.
0: I went to work every day, always looking for, okay, the next thing, the next thing. And I thought, oh, well, yeah, I'll do this extra thing because it's transferable skills. I can put it on my resume, but I was always being asked to do more Mm -hmm. and just working, 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 exhausting myself and i'm seeing my white counterparts do way less like not even half of what i was producing and bringing to the table Just my natural intelligence being in the room offering what i offered and they i mean they were going to the beach they were going to the lake they, they were having a good time taking their pto but we have this pressure as black people to show up as a good black person You know, there's, there's this thing that we, that, that I used to say myself, you know, you, you have to be, you have to work harder. You have to show up better. You got to do all the things better. Right. And that is another law of the enemy. No, the hell I don't. I can show up authentically. We have to unlearn that. Mm-hmm. That's white supremacy that's in our in our bones, in our genes. I don't have to keep producing because at the end of the day, black people, we're the ones that suffering.
1: And yes, yes, God, yes to all of that. Yes, it is white supremacy. and it also makes me think about like where that comes from historically and not just not just, I mean, yes, trauma, definitely for sure, but specifically, I'm thinking about how, black people were not allowed to be idle. You know, people don't know that <laughs> Like, we weren't allowed to just not have a job. You, you weren't allowed to be walking in town. This is after, this is after slavery. This is like, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm talking 1930s, 1940s, 1950s. This, this, this isn't only pre 1900 I'm talking about. We were not allowed to just be walking around and laughing and joking during working hours right like so you had to be headed to your job or you had to um show proof of of employment or Mm -hmm. if you were at a job we were already worked harder right we we were already enslaved in many jobs re-enslaved doing many jobs um because the country did whatever it wanted to do to us Um, after slavery, and we had this we had this mindset of, okay, well, if I do this better, if I do this more, then they'll see and they won't hurt me, or they won't hurt my family, or they won't come after like so much for survival. And these ideas were passed down generation to generation. And I'ma say generation to generation, and also say not a long freaking time ago. Okay, like not long ago. People have this idea that this was so long ago. And I'm like, no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. And it's just me recognizing and realizing how much like my parents internalized that stuff. Mm -hmm. But they had to do it. They they had to do it for the time that it was. Um, my my grandparents had to do it. And I feel like we're at a point now where a lot of us like we don't have to. It's it's still risky, right? It's, it's still risky. And I feel like when we, or at least for me, I can't speak for all Black people, but for me, it's like, yeah, I am actually going to take a nap today and do my small part at resisting white supremacy. And I say that because there are people who are taking bigger risks, who are leaving these bigger jobs because they're not being valued, not just as people, but as Black people, right? Because we, we have to deal with so much in the workplace, there's so much that we have to navigate racism and oppression and different microaggressions and all these things, right. That go into our mental and emotional state at these jobs. And then people wonder why we're like dipping out. It's not just because people don't want to work. That's not, no, no. <laughs> like there's so much more that we have to deal with and it's exhausting.
0: It is. And I want to go back. Cause you talked about, you know, the things that we do as an act of resistance. I think that being ourselves is an act of resistance. I remember when I decided to go from my permed hair to natural and my immediate thought was, oh my God, what are people going to think when I show up to work with my natural curls? Mm -hmm. When I went from just my natural curly fro to, which was a beautiful afro, oh my goodness, I miss it. Now I have locks and I remember thinking, "Oh my god, what what are people going what are they going to say?" And I and somebody told me, "Girl, you better not show up to work like that. They don't like they don't like when we wear our hair like that." And so I hesitated. I was like, "Oh, I don't want to be judged. I don't want to be perceived in the wrong way as as being unprofessional because I have my locks." And so now the last Well, I've had locks now for a long time, maybe like six or seven years, but it's been six or seven years of decolonizing my life, not just my faith, not just my therapy, so I wanted to ask you, how do you show up authentically and, you know, kind of what, what keeps you going in terms of showing up authentically?
1: Yeah. The biggest thing that keeps me going, first thing that came to mind is the fact that people before me, Black people before me couldn't do things like I'm doing it, right? Like <laughs> I am going to speak up. I am going to say things to white people. Um, I am going to advocate for myself because my mom told me stories where she couldn't do that. Right. Um, like my, my dad could do that. Like they had to say, they had to not look the white man or the white woman in the eye. And they had to not look them in the eye, but still say yes, sir. And yes, ma'am to them as grown people. And you want to know something? That's the stuff where I'm like, I just refuse to, I refuse to put myself in this box where my value is only seen, um, with how much respect I give to white America, right? Like that's, that's the thing. This, this isn't about manners, right? This, because I was raised to say yes, yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Yes, sir. No, sir. To anybody, um, didn't matter what race they were. It was a matter of just, these are manners. This is respect. Um, at least down here in the South. Right. But, It's different whenever it was um, historic, like the the historical reasons why black people have always had to do that to white people. And I was like, I'm not, no, like we've been dehumanized so much. And so whenever I can speak up or whenever I can go on the news and I can give this interview and say what I want to say about this racist thing that's happening. Yes, I will say it because there was a time whenever we would be, we would be killed for that, right? We, we, We would be killed for just testifying in a court case, just yeah. Um, on something that happened to us, testifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Something that happened to us. We, yeah. we would get killed for it. Um, <laughs> and so for me, there's, there's that. There's understanding the, the historical importance and how I see it. Uh, that's one way that I show up. I also just show up as my authentic self because I've come more into knowing that I'm still becoming like I have not reached the final destination of who I am. This is not, no, not, not at all. And we're fed this BS idea growing up of, oh, well, you're going to have it together by the time you're this age or that age. So we put these these ridiculous these ridiculous expectations on ourselves and then we're disappointed when we don't meet them. But whose expectations were they? Who told you you had to do this by this age? Who said that? Because I'm 33 years old. And if you had told me at 28, I'd be getting divorced at 33, I would have called you a liar. I would have called you a liar to your face. But you want to know something? I'm I'm not static. I'm a dynamic person. I am allowed Begin. to change, yes. <laughs> right? Yes. Like I am allowed to change. I am allowed, I should be evolving. I, sh- I should be continuously evolving. And for me, that has helped me see how to show up as my authentic self. And um, that is speaking the truth about history. Uh, that is understanding why, this is my calling. This is my purpose. Um, are are there days sometimes where I wish I only cared about math and I lived in a hole? Sure, because this this is heavy to like carry, right? This is heavy to carry, but I know my my faith in God, how much God has done for me and how much God has blessed me. And I don't just mean that to sound all hunky dory and rainbows and sunshine, because that's not what obedience is. That's not at all what it is. And if people who are listening, are those who do believe in God. And I'm someone who came from growing up in a Christian household, but also in a Christian household that was not rooted in this BS white supremacist idea, right? Of Jesus, like, no, I, I learned that Jesus was a radical and racial justice matter and all of these things. And so with all of that, I also learned the importance of doing what you're called to do in mm-hmm. that. And that along the way, as long as you're doing it with good intentions for the right reasons and you're trying and trying sometimes means that you just kind of try to survive and you don't really do what you're (laughs) supposed to do anymore, but you're going to succeed in the way that you're supposed to. And that doesn't always mean it's going to be this big celebration and all this stuff. That's not it because we have to go through life and life is just people probably seen this picture of like the person riding the bike and there's like the hill and then like the valley and all of this and that's that's what it is it's nothing is linear right and that's nothing is life. linear exactly it's, right it's yes. not it's not linear life is like even history isn't linear right and really just my whole journey is helping me see how I want to show up as my authentic self. But also like my authentic self can just be sometimes a little quieter than it was in some places before, because now I'm realizing like why I was trying to do something and who I was really doing it for. It wasn't for me. And so just unpacking past trauma, um, therapy has helped me a lot. Know what it feels like to show up authentically, pay attention to my body and that kind of stuff. And yeah, and really, I mean, this is my passion. Like what, what I'm doing is my passion. The, the work I do is what I want to be doing. And if I'm not showing up authentically for me, I'm just lying to myself.
0: That's it. We have to decolonize our way of thinking, the way we live our lives, because as you say it, our ancestors couldn't. They right. were just trying to survive. It Mm -hmm. is life or death for them every single day, every minute of the day. So we get to do in this lifetime, all the things that they could not. So it's really important that we show up as the people that God designed us to be. Mm -hmm. Do the work, live the life, speak on the things that, that are, you know, just natural to us, that's in us. Show up as authentically as we can every time we get the chance. I feel like I do this for my ancestors as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. even though I don't
0: know my ancestors. I do it for them.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. But you, you do have ancestors. I right? do. You, I do. I didn't just, you do. I, God just didn't just drop me here, you know? Right. Right. God, God wasn't like, this world is going to need Tasha and all of her amazingness and all the things like you do have ancestors, right? And so your drive, because I like you're like my sister, basically. Yeah, and okay. of course. Right, and it's like your drive and your passion and your heart and your your want for people to hear your story and to like hear it even in your voice whenever you talk and how in just how attentive you are to people and how much you you see the depths of the importance of therapy and decolonizing the mind and all of this stuff, right? Like that comes from somewhere that comes from that's, that's not just something that you decided you were going to create for yourself. Like you, you have chosen to, to, um, To dive into that. And there's something, and this makes me think about something too. Um, my mom is actually one of my patrons on Patreon, (laughs) which is really awesome. Um, because she like loves to support what I'm doing. And uh she'll she'll reply to any emails that I send out. So anytime I like post something, yeah, she'll always send a reply message about it. It's usually like a video replay, like a webinar or something, and um this, this month I did a live Q and a, which I do every month. And I sent the, the video replay out and my mom responded to it. And she said something about like how wonderful it was. And she said, whenever I watch you on your platform, you remind me of what your grandma used to tell me her grandma used to be like, because I'm actually named after my maternal grandma. Her name was Letty and she, and like her grandma's name was Rachel. And so my mom said like, yeah, it makes me think about what grandma said about her grandma. How interesting. And my grandma had a sister named Rachel as well. What a beautiful name. Right? Yes. And it was just one of those moments where I was like, wow, like I never, like that, that lets me know who I am some of these traits don't just come from my parents, right? Like they, they don't just come from that. Like there are times that my dad will say that I remind him of one of his sisters. Um, Like one of my aunts, like I have an aunt, I have two aunts that have passed away on my dad's side. Both of them are who I remind my dad and my mom of the, the like most, right? And so knowing and understanding too, that our ancestors are with us all the time, and then when we say that, you know, people are like, oh, like ghosts. And I'm like, no, there's a there is more to spirituality than Christianity. I'm gonna leave that. There.
0: Say it again, please. <laughs> say it again.
1: There is more to spirituality than just Christianity. There you go. <laughs> like I need people to understand that, right? And so for me in those moments, that's also the stuff that wants me to show up as my authentic self is to know that I am not only honoring my ancestors, but I am stepping more into who I'm supposed to be. Because when we talk about legacy,
0: that's oh. the kind of legacy
1: that I think about. Just because yeah. just people can't see it, I mean, that I don't feel it.
0: When I listen to History Shows Us,
1: I hear both
0: your, your purpose and your passion. And it it honestly feels like for me in my work and in listening to your voice, that it's like the ancestors are pushing you. And saying, yes, girl, yes, speak on it. Yes, just teach on this, you know, give the people, you know, what they need. Tell them about us, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I I hear love, I hear righteous anger, I hear all of that. When Black people listen to your podcast or listen to you speak wherever you're speaking, because you're all over the place. We know that, right? So so if you haven't heard about Letty, you will because she's literally all over. Um, but but when black people hear you, what do you hope that you're leaving with them?
1: They're more than formally and ens- like they're they're tied to more than just formally enslaved people. They're seen and that they're heard and that their experiences matter, that their lives matter, and that the history. There's so much more history to us than just civil rights movements and marches. There's so much more to us than just that. There's so much more to us than just resilience and perseverance. Yes, there is that. And that's the beauty. And there is, there is a strength to black culture. There's a strength to black people collectively that does not exist for any other race. I will say that to the day that I die, period. That's just it that may offend some people. And if it does, I really don't care because I have read it enough and seen it enough. And we are one of the only groups of people that have never been able to, to collectively pass as white. I'm not saying that some white people couldn't do that, What I'm saying is you're right. This is, this is important for, for people to, to hear it, right? And so for me with Black people, I want them to see that I am someone who wants to tell the truth, but I want to tell the truth from their voices, right? Um, like right, right now, I'm gonna start back up on some Green Book research here in Wilmington, North Carolina. And for, and for those of you who don't know, the Green Book was a travel book used from 1937 to 1967 in the United States, um, and also abroad for travel in like the 60s, but it was used by Black people so that we would know where was a safe place, hopefully, to stop for food, lodging, to get a haircut, basic leisurely things that we couldn't just do without getting killed. So I've been starting back up on this research. I started it back in 2019 and not just about finding the locations because I dug through all the green books that I could find on digital archives on online and a lot of tedious work, but that was the easy surface level stuff, actually finding all 52 locations in the books. The work comes when you're trying to put the, put the history together and construct an argument with like what you're trying to show. And so I'm digging into who owned each location how does the land go back to the 1898 race massacre? Like that kind of stuff that's never been done before, ever. What I'm doing though, is I'm also talking to black people in who were in Wilmington, who remember Wilmington in the forties and fifties. You cannot talk about the history if you don't listen to the people who experienced the history, right? Like you, I'd I, I be doing a disservice. And so I basically said all that to say, in doing that, I want people to see whose voices I'm centering, Right. And know that like their their lives were not only about living in Wilmington, North Carolina. No, there was much more to them as people individually. And so that's what I want black people to hear and black people to feel whenever they listen to me talk or listen to my podcast or read one of my Patreon posts or read one of my Instagram posts. I I want them to see and feel my passion and to learn something new that they didn't know. Um, perhaps too about the time that they grew up and just to also instill some hope in them to know that what they fought for people like me are still out here fighting for. Yeah.
0: I'm sure you can hear Letty's passion. Her Patreon community is amazing. What she gives to people is amazing. So if you have not yet joined, please go ahead and do that. Uh, The link will be provided um, in this episode. So, because some of your, some of your Patreon members are also white people who want to learn. Mm -hmm. What do you hope people listening to you, if they're white, will also get from you?
1: Really, really good question. Most of my patrons are, are white people. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I want them to not only hear my passion and feel that ho- hopefully since that conviction that I have, but also take a minute to hear what I'm saying to you, right? Like notice that I'm not coming at this for you to be defensive. I'm not coming at this uh, for any reason. Right. And I want you to hear the truth of what I'm saying about the history of this country and to take a minute to say, wow, I didn't uh-huh. know that. And I've been doing this stuff for a while but after George Floyd's murder last year it really picked up for me. I got tons of I mean tens of thousands of followers so so quickly on Instagram. I I've had since last May, you know, so many people have been like I I didn't know this until you were talking about it. I didn't know about this history. I had no idea that this was going on and I just didn't think about racism like this. Not That's what I want people to get. Mm -hmm. I want people to listen to what I'm saying, see what I'm saying and choose to take it and say, okay, what do I need to do with this now? What do I need to do to dismantle this system? What do I need to do to deal with myself before I can even go out there trying to dismantle the system because this isn't just about reading all the books and listening to all the podcasts and paying for the courses. It's not just about that. If you do not deal with yourself and your biases and your issues that you have, you cannot go out here and do it anymore. And if you don't even want to identify why, right, you get so defensive in your body physically, you have to start paying attention to how you respond Whenever you read something that someone says is racist, does your chest get tight? Does your stomach start to hurt? Do you start to fidget around in like your chair whenever someone says something that you said to them as a white person was racist? Do you start to like, what do you do in your body? Because our nervous systems tell us everything before we even realize it. Right. And everything. Everything. Yeah. I mean, honestly, Tasha, I just want people to be moved by what I'm doing to hear what I'm doing, to see what I'm doing. And not for my glorification, honestly. Sure, am I gonna sit here and say that recognition isn't a good thing? No, it's a wonderful thing. And honestly, I should be getting flowers. Yes, I should be getting, I should be getting the applause because I deserve it. Mm-hmm. But also, also, this is about something bigger than me. This is, this be, because if this was just about me, I would not be doing this. If this was just about um, money, mm-hmm. oh no. No, 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 no. I would not be doing this, right? If if, if this was just, be, but it's not that. It's about the fact that you can't sit here, for example, and talk about how much you loved John Lewis. And I'm bringing that up because the anniversary of his passing was recently. You can't just sit there and talk about how much John Lewis was wonderful, and in the same breath, be passing voting laws that discriminate and disenfranchise. Against Black people. You can't do both. You literally cannot do both of them. Right. And so I draw these connections for people to, to get it. And I've had people tell me, like, the way you explain it, Letty, makes me understand it. And to me, it's just common sense. To me, I'm just out here ranting, right? I just go on rants and I'm just talking, talking, talking. And people get so much from it. And I want that because I know that's a gift that I have. That is God given. That is God given. Sure, the being A grad student getting my MA in history and going through that rigorous program helped? Absolutely it did. It taught me how to stand firm and defend myself. It taught me how to think. It taught me how to read. It taught me how to do much more and to have this craft or, or, or know how to hold the craft of being a historian. Yes, I got another master's degree in conflict management, which taught me more effective ways to communicate and how to mediate. Did that stuff help? Yes, it did. But I've been this way with history before now. Right. And so So you've been here before. Yeah. Yes, I have. (laughs) So, yeah, I, I, I want white people to want to do better. I want white people to also know that there's, there's no malicious intent from me. And I know that we're inundated on social media out here with people who don't have the same heart as I do. Right. And I'm not sitting here saying I'm a caught to white feelings. I will never, ever do that. I'm never going to call on white. feelings. it's always going to be black people first for me. But what I am going to do. <laughs> right. Like what I am going to do, though, is understand that when we look at these movements in history, we and we look at organisms like how people organize in history, there's always strategy, There's always strategy. There was never just and that's not to say that people can't come out here and protest and scream and yell. Absolutely absolutely and people need to stop condemning that because we're angry yes we are angry because we live in this country where we are still shown time and time again that we do not matter and so i i just want to give all all what i just said i want people to get all of that from what i teach about and like how i teach and how i talk and and to know that i do still have hope right people ask me like well do you do you have hope Mm -hmm. yes how how yeah i do if I didn't have hope, I, I I wouldn't even be here, Tasha, talking to you right now, right? I'm, I'm, I'm about this very thing. James Baldwin is my favorite, favorite person in history. I have two of James Baldwin's quotes tattooed on my body. I mean, that's how much I love him. And James Baldwin passed away in 1987, but he posthumously was my mentor in grad school. Like it was like reading him helped me read history. Um, even now, James Baldwin's name is coming more on the scene in the last four or five years. I'm like, yo, I've been reading Baldwin since 2009. Like, so it's been a long time for me reading Baldwin before he was quote unquote popular. <laughs> and um, he is actually who, through his writing, he talks about bearing witness and what it means to, to bear witness um, truly. Bearing witness doesn't mean you, you, you just see something happen. That's mm-hmm. not, it's not what it means. It means that you see it happen and you're convicted to do something about it. You, you take that, you take what you saw and you apply it to yourself and you do something about it out here. Because if you don't do that, then you're not bearing witness. And you're it's not. so powerful. Yeah, that's, that's how I interpret Baldwin's bearing witness because he, he continuously mentions it in, in his writings. And this is in his writings before Medgar Evers and Dr. King and Malcolm X were killed. Because after they were killed, after they were killed by this country that today claims loved them so much, after they were killed, they decided he his his writing started to change a, a little bit. He he got more he got more impatient, got more frustrated. Um, he expatriated from this country twice, three uh, three times actually, and lived lived overseas in um, Europe. But Baldwin talks about hope too is there a certain book i have two of of baldwin's books that i've
0: not read yet got them mm-hmm. from the schomburg center which i know you just visited
1: yes um yes. the fire
0: next time and notes of a native son
1: yes yes those are two iconic ones fire the, the fire next time i've probably read five times and i get something different every time One of the most important texts of the 20th century. One Uh, of the most important. Yeah. And uh, there's so much of Baldwin too. Yeah. So there's the fire next time. There's um, people often ask me what books they should read by Baldwin. There are definitely books. There are also also interviews you need to watch. YouTube. Yes. Yes. Like you can read Baldwin all day, but until you hear him and you see how he says the things that he says right? You're not going to get it. As Here, the articulation of his
0: voice, of of the words,
1: yes. There's a quote that he said, and it was some debate that he did with with, um, William Buckley at the University of Cambridge in 1965. Um, And there's a part where he says uh, and I'm going to read this because if like you were to read this on a piece of paper you'd re- you would read it like this but like he says it comes as a great shock around the age of five or six or seven to discover that the flag to which you have pledged allegiance along with everybody else has not pledged allegiance to you and then he goes on to say I am stating very seriously and this is not an overstatement I picked the cotton I carried it to the market and I built the railroads under someone else's whip for nothing, for nothing. Right. So you read that, but if you actually watch the debate, he actually says it in a way I, I I came into it justice, Sasha, if I'm going to try, but he says, I picked the cotton. I carried it to the market and I built the railroads under someone else's whip for nothing, for nothing. There's a difference. There is. There's a difference, right? And so that range that Baldwin also talks about, writes about, that's the range that I see in this country among black people constantly. We're, we're born with it. We're born with it because it's passed on trauma.
0: Oh, another good question um, that just came to mind. If you were creating like a justice league of some sort to like dismantle white supremacy, um, and racism, past and present historical figures, who are a few of the people that you would definitely have on your team?
1: Oh, okay. This is a wonderful question. First person I can think of, um, is there like a limit to the number of people?
0: No, just whoever comes to mind. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, um, James Baldwin, obviously, um, Stokely Carmichael. Yes. Um, Asana Shakur. Yes. (laughs) um Stacey Abrams today oh, yeah um yep Stacey Abrams today um Brian Stevenson mm-hmm. um Justice oh man there's so many god there's so many uh you are
0: literally covering every area my goodness yeah.
1: um Ida Ida B. Wells Ida B. Wells would definitely be one um I would also have to say uh June Johnson and Fannie Lou Hamer. Mm-hmm. There's reasons for all of them. Have have reasons for all of them. Marsha P. Johnson. Those are just a few.
0: What would Ida B. Wells bring to your team?
1: Oh wow! So Ida B. Wells at the time did something that should have gotten her lynched, which was the same stuff she was talking about, right? Ida Ida B. Wells had this way of looking at, and I don't know another word for this, but predicting um, how lynchings were going to be happening in the country. She actually talked to people, right, who um, who cut bodies down off of the trees, right? Like she did that. She saw her friends get killed by white people. Ida B. Wells was um, adamant. She was fearless, and I mean that, like she, she was fearless in the, in the face of white men, literally in the face of white men, like physically um, Ida B. Wells, her, her Southern horrors, um, what, what she wrote. And for those of you who don't know that it's, you should Google Southern Horse, And there is actually a part in it called Lynch law in all its phases. And that writing is also what was used to help encourage the formation of the NAACP mm-hmm. um is also what was used to look at lynchings in America and to raise awareness of what was happening it was also cited by members of SNCC and CORE and it's still used today to talk about black like what happens to black people and so Ida B. Wells would have been a force would be a force in it yeah I
0: literally, like, no kidding, have chills in my body, like, listening to you talk about her. I feel like we need a whole Black curriculum. Can you please develop a Black <laughs> curriculum for every fucking
1: school <laughs> in this U.S. of A? I'm actually considering, and, and I'm going to share this here, I'm actually considered like, like, just creating something where I, it, it, it can be... Toner, or yeah something like that Tasha I haven't had a used to
0: fucking call you that's all I'm saying
1: can Netflix call
0: you <laughs> right can somebody um, get Netflix yes. on the phone for I mean, really
1: can someone actually do that <laughs> uh Michelle Barack Oprah <laughs> honestly yeah I
0: just I just because yeah I have never been interested in history I am not kidding you you are my friend you are my sister I've never been interested in history until I listen to your podcast hmm. you bring to all of us the historical and then every day you bring oh this is the present day stuff that's happening I've just got chills from listening to you talk about Ida B. Wells and that is what we all we need these lessons because I just, I didn't know all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People love you. That's all I'm going to say. Gonna I love
1: say. you too. And yes, someone get me a Netflix deal. Yeah, because this is the history people just don't know. I mean, people don't know this and I'm just going to say it. I, I say it in a way and I tell it in a way that makes people want to learn it.
0: If you're listening to music and you want to move your body, what kind of music are you listening to?
1: Oh, I'm listening to like, <sighs> it depends on Okay. So I'm, I'm listening to my like Michael Jackson, Whitney Houston. I, I want to dance to somebody is a song that I want. That is my go-to. I, I want to dance. I want to get up. That is one of those songs for me. Also nineties, like hip hop, but like 95, 96, 97, or we're looking at two thousand three to like two thousand six. That was also a golden age of music that people just don't appreciate enough for me. So yeah, and I, <laughs> I actually this morning was dancing Tasha to um, Thought Shit by Megan The Stallion, and it we was. We got like, it. It's always. It's just always a vibe. It's always a vibe, and it's it always is. just yes. So yeah, yeah, I've I've been trying. I, we have talked offline, obviously, a lot about dancing right and yeah. like you tell me you dance off every day i dance yes. every day yes it yes. is necessary and
0: It it is and, and i'm telling you that when you get to your 40s you will regret not twerking more <laughs> yes. you will regret it because your knees will say no bitch <laughs>
1: Your knee will say, I'm about to crack
0: under pressure.
1: <laughs> gotta strengthen those uh, knees, huh, you Tasha. You have to strengthen your knees.
0: <laughs> you have to get low, shorty. <laughs> low. Yes. See, 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 this This is important. I gotta dance every day because my knees be like, bitch. <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay. <You're done. laughs> you neglected us and now you need us and now we got to work at it
0: right right that's it um and I remember I love that you listened to um Whitney Houston because that um that video from I want to dance with somebody
1: yes it's one of the best ever yes I love Whitney I Whitney and Michael have gotten me through some days got me through some days and some times and none of their music sounded the same yeah none of it ever sounded the same right so you you but you also evolved with them as they went too. and yeah michael's smooth criminal listen i used to know the whole dance to that and thriller and all the things and i was convinced that i could lean that far until i realized he actually had special shoes And and, and you would have fell and broke your damn nose. (laughs) I fell. I have fallen so many times in my lifetime. (laughs) So, yes. And so, yeah, and there's just joy and there's joy. And this goes back to what I said before about how we put all of these. We we, we put ourselves in these boxes right into thinking that, oh, well, I shouldn't want to do that anymore. I shouldn't want to dance like that anymore. Who said that you should and should not do certain things? Who said that? Who who puts these parameters on? It is your life, right? Like it's your life. So if if I want to dance at 10 o'clock at night by myself in my underwear and my socks, that's what I want to do. And I need for y'all to leave me alone. <laughs> okay. Leave me, because I'm going to twerk. I'm going to shake this ass for my and ancestors. Yes, and yeah, because <laughs> also twerking comes from Africa. So there's that. Thank you. <laughs>
0: Thank you very Thank much. You. <laughs> um, and side note, I, I trade in your Michael for my prince. Who or what makes you laugh?
1: Oh, who or what makes you laugh? Tasha, you honestly make me laugh a lot. I'm, I'm not even gonna lie. Like we send Marcos often y'all and I'm always laughing because Tasha's very funny. Um, you make me laugh. Also, um, <laughs> I will get on black Twitter. And just mm-hmm. laugh because Black Twitter is honestly a gift to Twitter. Twitter is just thanking Black people, honestly. Um, yep. And um, yeah, I, I laugh with and at things that my friends say because I talk to a very small number of people every day. The ones like the friend, like, like you, who I choose to engage with. And y'all are funny. Um, y'all are funny because we can laugh. And then also in like the next breath, be like, "What is happening?" And then laugh some more. And that is the stuff too that I can find some joy in. And um, I will leave it at that. And and you guys, we have the best
0: conversations about food. Letty and I can go back and forth all day on what we're cooking, what we're eating, what we what we're going to the grocery store to get. Like, yes, that's a Uh, whole thing.
1: I will be unpacking groceries, and I'm like, "Look, Tasha, this is what I got." That's it. That's it. (laughs) And it's not a boring conversation. Like, that yeah. is the best conversation. Yes. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Uh, who or what inspires you? Ooh, who or what inspires me? Those who came before me, Black people who came before me, definitely inspire me. Reading their words, like reading about Angela Davis, reading her words, reading Asada Shakur's words, reading Ella Baker's words, reading, yeah, reading the words, listening to those who came before me, they inspire me. They inspire me because they, they, they left the torch here. They, they left it here. Um, they started it and they continued it and they have, they helped fuel it, but the work isn't done. And so they inspire me. Um, I inspire myself. I inspire myself because I have decided to start looking back at how much I've grown. Yeah. Because we often, including my, and why we, I mean, me also in this we often name everything except for ourselves whenever it comes to who we love mm. and who we care for. And I was watching—I forget what it was—and I was watching something one day, and this woman said, "I realized." And if someone asked me, "Who? Who do I love?" I name everyone, but I didn't name myself. Mm. And so I inspire me because it's not about this energy necessarily of only I can take care of me and only I'm gonna be here for me. No. But that's sometimes a um, scarcity mindset. I am saying that because that's my responsibility to heal. Okay. It's my responsibility to be in control of my feelings. It's my responsibility to pat myself on the back on the days that I need to be reminded of. Look at how far you've come. Like, look at what you remember what happened this day Remember what happened months ago. And look at where you are now. Doesn't mean that you're necessarily where you want to be, but look at how far you've come. So. That is so important. I think that's a
0: whole love letter to yourself. Yeah, it's turning that love inward and, and really realizing, like, damn, this is where I was just a few months ago. Mm-hmm. Look at me now. This is where I was a couple of years ago. Look at me now. Mm-hmm. That growth is so fucking sexy. Like, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. And and I don't know about you, but I really feel like I am living the life and operating in my purpose. Thank you so much for being here today.
1: Yes, absolutely. I've been so excited about this all week. So thank you for having me, Tasha. Honestly, I'm just grateful to share this space with you. Thank you for your energy and your time with this too, because you can be doing anything else right now and you're choosing to do this and I appreciate you and I love you.
0: I love you too. Oh, wait, for anybody that doesn't know, because everybody should know you, but for anybody that doesn't know, please tell everybody where they can find you.
1: Yes. So on Instagram, um, you can find me at sincerely.letty. Um, also, my podcast is History Shows Us. That's on all the major streaming platforms. And on Instagram, you can follow the podcast at History Shows Us Podcast. Matter of fact, Tasha, you were on my podcast just a couple months ago. Yes. Yeah. It was amazing. It
0: was awesome.
1: Yeah. So, so you can find me, oh, and on Patreon, which I know you're going to put the link in the show notes, but Patreon, I have different tiers, six different tiers. People can financially support me, but you also get, like, lessons monthly from me, like, history lessons, a live Q&A every month, a Patreon webinar, and also do a book club that's also three of the tiers you can choose which level of like the book club you want to be a part of yeah I basically like give y'all all this history knowledge on my Patreon so
0: that's it so you guys support thank you so much lady thank you Thank you so much for listening to When We Speak. Follow me on Instagram at TashaHunterLCSW. If you haven't done so yet, please rate, review, and follow me on iTunes and share it on your social media. If you want a copy of my book, What Children Remember, it is available on Amazon. Until next time.